Chapter Nineteen of Allen and the Holy Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Allen and the Holy Flower by H. Rider Haggard. Chapter Nineteen: The True Holy Flower. When I came to myself again, it was to find that I had slept fifteen or sixteen hours, for the sun of a new day was high in the heavens. I was lying in a little shelter of boughs at the foot of that mound on which we flew the flag that guided us back over the waters of Lake Karua. Nearby was Hans, consuming a gigantic meal of meat which he had cooked over a neighbouring fire. With him, to my delight, I saw Mavovo, his head bound up, though otherwise but little the worse. The stone, which probably would have killed a thin-skulled white man, had done no more than knock him stupid and break the skin of his scalp perhaps because the force of it was lessened by the gum-man's ring which like most zulus of certain age or dignity he wore woven in his hair the two tents we had brought with us to the lake were pitched not far away and looked quite pretty and peaceful there in the sunlight hans who was watching me out of the corner of his eye ran to me with a large pannikin of hot coffee which sammy had made ready against my awakening for they knew that my sleep was or had become of a natural order I drank it to the last drop, and in all my life never did I enjoy anything more. Then, while I began upon some pieces of the toasted meat, I asked him what had happened. "'Not much, Baas,' he answered, "'except that we are alive, who should be dead. The ma'am and the missy are still asleep in that tent, or at least the ma'am is, for the missy is helping Dogeeta, her father, to nurse Baas Stephen, who has an ugly wound. The Pongos have gone, and I think will not return.' for they have had enough of the white man's guns. The Mizitu have buried those of their dead whom they could recover, and have sent their wounded, of whom there were only six, back to Beza town on litters. That is all, Bas. Then, while I washed, and never did I need a bath more, and put on my underclothes, in which I had swum on the night of the killing of the Matombo, that Hans had wrung out and dried in the sun, I asked that worthy how he was after his adventures. "'Oh, well enough, Baas,' he answered, "'now that my stomach is full, "'except that my hands and wrists are sore "'with crawling around the ground like a babian, baboon, "'and that I cannot get the stink of that god's skin out of my nose. "'Oh, you don't know what it was. "'If I had been a white man it would have killed me. "'But, Baas, perhaps you did well to take drunken old hands with you "'on this journey after all, "'for I was clever about the little gun, wasn't I?' also about your swimming of the crocodile water though it is true that the sign of the spider and the moth which your reverend father sent taught me that and now we have got back safe except for the mazitu jerry who doesn't matter for there are plenty more like him and the wound in bas stephen's shoulder and that heavy flower which he thought better than brandy yes hans i said i did well to take you and you are clever for had it not been for you we should now be cooked and eaten in pongo land i thank you for your help old friend but hans another time please sew up the holes of your waistcoat pocket four caps wasn't much hans no baas but it was enough as they were all good ones if there had been forty you could not have done much more oh your reverend father knew all that my departed parent had become a kind of patron saint to hans and did not wish this poor old hottentot to have more to carry than was needed he knew you wouldn't miss baas and that there were only one god, one devil, and one man waiting to be killed. I laughed, for Hans's way of putting things was certainly original, and having got on my coat went to see Stephen. 
at the door of the tent i met brother john whose shoulder was dreadfully sore from the rubbing of the orchid stretcher as were his hands with paddling but who otherwise was well enough and of course supremely happy he told me that he had cleansed and sewn up stephen's wound which appeared to be doing well though the spear had pierced right through the shoulder luckily without cutting any artery so i went in to see the patient and found him cheerful enough though weak from weariness and loss of blood with miss hope feeding him with broth from a wooden native spoon i didn't stop very long especially after he got onto the subject of the lost orchid about which he began to show signs of excitement this i allayed as well as i could by telling him that i had preserved a pod of the seed news at which he was delighted there he said to think that you alan should have remembered to take that precaution when i an orchidist forgot all about it ah my boy i answered i have lived long enough to learn never to leave anything behind that i can possibly carry away also although not an orchidist it occurred to me that there are more ways of propagating a plant than from the original root which generally won't go into one's pocket then he began to give me elaborate instructions as to the preservation of the seed pod in a perfectly dry and air-tight box etc at which point miss hope unceremoniously bundled me out of the tent that afternoon we held a conference at which it was agreed that we should begin our return journey to beza town at once as the place where we were camped was very malarious and there was always a risk of the pongo paying us another visit so a litter was made with a mat stretched over it in which stephen could be carried since fortunately there were plenty of bearers and our other simple preparations were quickly completed mrs eversley and hope were mounted on the two donkeys brother john whose hurt leg showed signs of renewed weakness rode his white ox which was now quite fat again the wounded hero stephen as i have said was carried and i walked comparing notes with old babembo on the pongo their manners which i am bound to say were good and their customs that as the saying goes were simply beastly how delighted that ancient warrior was to hear again about the sacred cave the crocodile river the mountain forest and its terrible god of the death of which and of the motombo he made me tell him the story three times over at the conclusion of the third recital he said quietly my lord macumazahan you are a great man and i am glad to have lived if only to know you no one else could have done these deeds of course i was complimented but felt bound to point out hans's share in our joint achievement yes yes he answered the spotted snake in hulatu has the cunning to scheme but you have the power to do and what is the use of a brain to plot without the arm to strike the two do not go together because the plotter is not a striker his mind is different if the snake had the strength and brain of the elephant and the fierce courage of the buffalo soon there would be but one creature left in the world but the maker of all things knew this and kept them separate my lord macumazahan i thought and still think that there was a great deal of wisdom in this remark simple as it seems oh surely many of these savages whom we white men despise are no fools after about an hour's march we camped till the moon rose which it did at ten o'clock when we went on again till near dawn as i thought it better that stephen should travel in the cool of the night i remember that our cavalcade escorted before behind and on either flank by the mazitu troops with their tall spears looked picturesque and even imposing as it wound over those wide downs in the lovely peaceful light of the moon there is no need for me to set out the details of the rest of our journey which was not marked by any incident of importance 
Stephen bore it very well, and Brother John, who was one of the best doctors I ever met, gave good reports of him. But I noted that he did not seem to get any stronger, although he ate plenty of food. Also Miss Hope, who nursed him, for her mother seemed to have no taste that way, informed me that he slept but little, as indeed I found out for myself. "'Oh, Alan,' she said, just before we reached Visa Town, "'Stephen, your son—she used to call him my son, I don't know why—is sick. The father says it is only the spear-hurt, but I tell you it is more than the spear-hurt. He is sick in himself.' and the tears that filled her grey eyes showed me that she spoke what she believed. As a matter of fact, she was right, for on the night after we reached the town, Stephen was seized with an attack of some bad form of African fever, which in his weak state nearly cost him his life, contracted no doubt at that unhealthy Crocodile River. Our reception at Beza was most imposing, for the whole population, headed by old Bowsey himself, came out to meet us with loud shouts of welcome, from which we had to ask them to desist for Stephen's sake. So in the end we got back to our huts with gratitude of heart. Indeed, we should have been very happy there for a while, had it not been for our anxiety about Stephen. But it is always thus in the world. Who was ever allowed to eat his pot of honey without finding a fly or perhaps a cockroach in his mouth? In all, Stephen was really ill for about a month. On the tenth day after our arrival at Beza, according to my diary, which, having little else to do, I entered up fully at this time, we thought that he would surely die. Even Brother John, who attended him with the most constant skill, and who had ample quinine and other drugs at his command, for these we had brought with us from Durban in plenty, gave up the case. Day and night the poor fellow raved, and always about that confounded orchid, the loss of which seemed to weigh upon his mind as though it were a whole sackful of unrepented crimes. I really think that he owed his life to subterfuge, or rather to a bold invention of hopes. One evening, when he was at his very worst, and going on like a mad creature about the lost plant, I was present in the hut at the time alone with him and her. She took his hand, and pointing to a perfectly open space on the floor, said, "'Look, O oh Stephen, the flower has been brought back.' He stared and stared, and then to my amazement answered, "'By Jove, so it has!' but those beggars have broken off all the blooms except one. Yes, she echoed, but one remains, and it is the finest of them all. After this he went quietly to sleep and slept for twelve hours, then took some food and slept again, and, what is more, his temperature went down to, or a little below, normal. When he finally woke up, as it chanced, I was again present in the hut with hope, who was standing on the spot which she had persuaded him was occupied by the orchid. He stared at this spot, and he stared at her. Me he could not see, for I was behind him. Then said in a weak voice, "'Didn't you tell me, Miss Hope, that the plant was where you are, and that the most beautiful of the flowers was left?' I wondered what on earth her answer would be. However, she rose to the occasion. "'Oh, Stephen!' she replied in her soft voice, and speaking in a way so natural that it freed her words from any boldness. It is here, for am I not its child? Her native appellation, it will be remembered, was child of the flower. And the fairest of the flowers is here too, for I am that flower which you found in the island of the lake, O Stephen. I pray you to trouble no more about a lost plant of which you have seed in plenty, but make thanks that you still live, 
and that through you my mother and i still live who if you had died would weep our eyes away through me he answered you mean through allan and hans also it was you who saved my life there in the water oh i remember it all now you are right hope although i didn't know it you are the true holy flower that i saw she ran to him and kneeling by his side gave him her hand which he pressed to his pale lips then i sneaked out of that hut and left them to discuss the lost flower that was found again it was a pretty scene and one that to my mind gave a sort of spiritual meaning to the whole of an otherwise rather insane quest he sought an ideal flower he found the love of his life after this stephen recovered rapidly for such love is the best of medicines if it be returned i don't know what passed between the pair and brother john and his wife for i never asked but i noted that from this day forward they began to treat him as a son the new relationship between stephen and hope seemed to be tacitly accepted without discussion even the natives accepted it for old mavovo asked me when they were going to be married and how many cows stephen had promised to pay brother john for such a beautiful wife it ought to be a large herd he said and a big breed of cattle sammy too alluded to the young lady in conversation with me as mr summer's affianced spouse only hans said nothing such a trivial matter as marrying and giving in marriage did not interest him or perhaps he looked upon the affair as a foregone conclusion and therefore unworthy of comment we stayed at bowsy's kraal for a full month longer whilst stephen recovered his strength i grew thoroughly bored with the place and so did mavovo and the zulus but brother john and his wife did not seem to mind mrs eversley was a passive creature quite content to take things as they came and after so long an absence from civilization to bide a little longer among savages also she had her beloved john at whom she would sit and gaze by the hour like a cat sometimes does at a person to whom it is attached indeed when she spoke to him her voice seemed to me to resemble a kind of blissful purr i think it made the old boy rather fidgety sometimes for after an hour or two of it he would rise and go and hunt for butterflies to tell the truth the situation got on my nerves at last for wherever i looked i seemed to see there stephen and hope making love to each other or brother john and his wife admiring each other which didn't leave me much spare conversation evidently they thought that mavovo hans sammy bowsy babemba and co were enough for me that is if they reflected on the matter at all so they were in a sense for the zulu hunters began to get out of hand in the midst of this idleness and plenty eating too much drinking too much native beer smoking too much of the intoxicating dakka a mischievous kind of help and making too much love to the mazitu women which of course resulted in the usual rows that i had to settle at last i struck and said that we must move on as stephen was now fit to travel quite so said brother john mildly what have you arranged alan with some irritation for i hated that sentence of brother john's i replied that i had arranged nothing but that as none of them seemed to have any suggestions to make i would go out and talk the matter over with hans and mavovo which i did i need not chronicle the results of our conference since other arrangements were being made for us at which i little guessed it all came very suddenly as great things in the lives of men and nations sometimes do 
Although the Mazitu were of the Zulu family, their military organization had none of the Zulu thoroughness. For instance, when I remonstrated with Bowsey and old Babemba as to their not keeping up a proper system of outposts and intelligence, they laughed at me and answered that they had never been attacked, and now that the Pongo had learnt a lesson, were never likely to be. By the way, I see that I have not yet mentioned that at Brother John's request those Pongo who had been taken prisoners at the Battle of the Reeds were conducted to the shores of the lake, given one of the captured canoes, and told that they might return to their own happy land. To our astonishment, about three weeks later, they reappeared at Beza town with this story. They said that they had crossed the lake and found Rika still standing, but utterly deserted. They then wandered through the country and even explored the Matombo's cave. There they discovered the remains of the Matombo, still crouched upon his platform, but nothing more. In one hut of a distant village, however, they came across an old and dying woman, who informed them with her last breath that the Pongos, frightened by the iron tubes that vomited death and in obedience to some prophecy, had all gone back whence they came in the beginning, taking with them the recaptured holy flower. She had been left with a supply of food because she was too weak to travel. So, perhaps that flower grows again in some unknown place in Africa, but its worshippers will have to provide themselves with another god of the forest, another mother of the flower, and another high priest to fill the office of the late Matombo. These Pongo prisoners, having now no home, and not knowing where their people had gone except that it was towards the north, asked for leave to settle among the Mizitu, which was granted them. Their story confirmed me in my opinion that Pongo land is not really an island, but is connected on the further side with the continent by some ridge or swamp. If we had been obliged to stop much longer among the Mazitu, I would have satisfied myself as to this matter by going to look. But that chance never came to me until some years later, when, under curious circumstances, I was again destined to visit this part of Africa. To return to my story, on the day following this discussion as to our departure, we all breakfasted very early, as there was a great deal to be done. There was a dense mist that morning, such as in these Mizitu uplands often precedes high, hot wind from the north at this season of the year, so dense indeed that it was impossible to see for more than a few yards. I suppose that this mist comes up from the great lake in certain conditions of the weather. We had just finished our breakfast, and rather languidly, for the thick, sultry air left me unenergetic. I told one of the Zulus to see that the two donkeys and the white ox which I had caused to be brought into town in view of our near departure, and tied up by our huts, were properly fed. Then I went to inspect all the rifles and ammunition, which Hans had got out to be checked and overhauled. It was at this moment that I heard a far away and unaccustomed sound, and asked Hans what he thought it was. "'A gun, boss,' he answered anxiously. Well might he be anxious, for as we both knew, no one in the neighbourhood had guns except ourselves, and all ours were accounted for. It is true that we had promised to give the majority of those we had taken from the slavers to Bowsey when we went away, and that I had been instructing some of his best soldiers in the use of them, but not one of these had as yet been left in their possession. I stepped to a gate in the fence and ordered the sentry there to run to Bowsey and Babemba and make reports and inquiries also to pray them to summon all the soldiers of whom, as it happened, there were at the time not more than three hundred in the town. As perfect peace prevailed, the rest, according to their custom, had been allowed to go to their villages and attend to their crops. 
then possessed by a rather undefined nervousness at which the others were inclined to laugh i caused the zulus to arm and generally make a few arrangements to meet any unforeseen crisis this done i sat down to reflect what would be the best course to take if we should happen to be attacked by a large force in that straggling native town of which i had often studied all the strategic possibilities when i had come to my own conclusion i asked hans and mavovo what they thought and found that they agreed with me that the only defensible place was outside the town where the road to the south gate ran down to a rocky wooded ridge with somewhat steep flanks it may be remembered that it was by this road and over this ridge that brother john had appeared on his white ox when we were about to be shot to death with arrows at the posts in the market-place whilst we were still talking two of the mazitu captains appeared running hard and dragging between them a wounded herdsman who had evidently been hit in the arm by a bullet this was his story that he and two other boys were out herding the king's cattle about half a mile to the north of the town when suddenly there appeared a great number of men dressed in white robes all of whom were armed with guns these men of whom he thought there must be three or four hundred began to take the cattle and seeing the three herds fired on them wounding him and killing his two companions he then ran for his life and brought the news he added that one of the men had called after him to tell the white people that they had come to kill them and the mazitu who were their friends and to take away the white women hassan ben mohammed and his slavers i said as babemba appeared at the head of a number of soldiers crying out the slave-dealing arabs are here lord macumazahan they have crept on us through the mist a herald of theirs has come to the north gate demanding that we should give up you white people and your servants and with you a hundred young men and a hundred young women to be sold as slaves if we do not do this they say that they will kill all of us save the unmarried boys and girls and that you white people they will take and put to death by burning keeping only the two women alive one hassan sends this message indeed i answered quietly for in this fix i grew quite cool as was usual with me and does bausi mean to give us up how can balzi give up dogeeta who is his blood brother and you his friend exclaimed the old general indignantly balzi sends me to his brother dogeeta that he may receive the orders of the white man's wisdom spoken through your mouth lord macumazahan then there's a good spirit in balzi i replied and these are dogeeta's orders spoken through my mouth go to hassan's messengers and ask him whether he remembers a certain letter which two white men left for him outside their camp in a cleft stick tell him that the time has now come for those white men to fulfil the promise they made in that letter and that before to-morrow he will be hanging on a tree then babemba gather your soldiers and hold the north gate of the town for as long as you can defending it with bows and arrows afterwards retreat through the town joining us among the trees on the rocky slope that is opposite the south gate bid some of your men clear the town of all the aged and women and children and let them pass through the south gate and take refuge in the wooded country beyond the slope let them not tarry let them go at once do you understand i understand everything lord macumazahan the words of dogeeta shall be obeyed oh would that we had listened to you and kept a better watch he rushed off running like a young man and shouting orders as he went now i said we must be moving 
we collected all the rifles and ammunition with some other things i am sure i forget what they were and with the help of a few guards whom babemba had left outside our gate started through the town leading with us the two donkeys and the white ox i remember by an afterthought telling sammy who was looking very uncomfortable to return to the huts and fetch some blankets and a couple of iron cooking pots which might become necessities to us oh mr quatermain he answered i will obey you though with fear and trembling he went and when a few hours afterwards i noted that he had never reappeared i came to the conclusion with a sigh for i was very fond of sammy in a way that he had fallen into trouble and been killed probably i thought his fear and trembling had overcome his reason and caused him to run in the wrong direction with the cooking pots the first part of our march through the town was easy enough but after we had crossed the market-place and emerged into the narrow way that ran between many lines of huts to the south gate it became more difficult since this path was already crowded with hundreds of terrified fugitives old people sick being carried little boys girls and women with infants at the breast it was impossible to control these poor folk all we could do was to fight our way through them however we got out at last and climbing the slope took up the best position we could on and just beneath its crest where the trees and scattered boulders gave us very fair cover which we improved upon in every way feasible in the time at our disposal by building little breastworks of stone and so forth the fugitives who had accompanied us and those who followed a multitude in all did not stop here but flowed on along the road and vanished into the wooded country behind i suggested to brother john that he should take his wife and daughter and the three beasts and go with them he seemed inclined to accept the idea needless to say for their sakes not for his own for he was a very fearless old fellow but the two ladies utterly refused to budge hope said that she would stop with stephen and her mother declared that she had every confidence in me and preferred to remain where she was then i suggested that stephen should go too but at this he grew so angry that i dropped the subject so in the end we established them in a pleasant little hollow by a spring just over the crest of the rise where unless our flank were turned or we were rushed they would be out of the reach of bullets moreover without saying anything more we gave to each of them a double-barrelled and loaded pistol end of chapter nineteen